Is Air a movie that was made for sneakerheads? I finally saw it, and you're going to get my review this week on Fire Footwear. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Fire Footwear. As always, this is your host, Matt Freitz. You can call me the Iceman. You can call me Matty Ice. I don't care what you call me. I am just happy that you are here giving out your time this week to listen to this show. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe, and I'm glad that you are here. Last week, I talked about Father's Day, and I gave you a list or a ranking of five Father's Day shoes that I thought were perfect for dads or the best dad shoes ever. But I got a little bit deep in talking about my relationship with my father and talking about how Father's Day has transitioned for me. And so while that was a heavy episode, I want to switch to something a little bit more lighter. I'm a bad sneakerhead because I finally just saw the movie Air. And I'm sure everybody listening has probably already seen it, maybe even more than once. I'd like to shout out to some of the people that listen to the show who I know directly worked on this film. You all did a great job. If I'm saying that right off the top, I very much enjoy this movie. But I want to get into the deeper elements of this movie because I think that there was a misconception about this movie that it was made for sneakerheads. And when we get to the end, I want to hear your thoughts on this. But I finally got to see it. And actually, I got to see it on my anniversary. My wife had been wanting to see it. And so I had the opportunity to go without her. But thankfully, we were able to watch it together. And I think it was a good thing that we did that because I think that it kind of tests the theory as to whether this is a sneaker movie versus a non-sneaker movie. I think when the first trailers came out of this movie and you saw what it was about, and spoiler for those who don't know, it's about the story of how Nike ended up landing Michael Jordan and starting Jordan brand. And I think that when you see that that's the story, you wonder if it's made for sneaker culture. Sneaker culture is bigger than it's ever been. It certainly is bigger than it was in the 80s and 90s, and it's grown probably way past what it was in the 2000s. A lot of that has to do with resale. A lot of that has to do with social media, which are elements of this that we've talked about on this show already. We're not going to rehash that. But I think that sneakers are in the conscience of pop culture to the point that a movie coming out like this is kind of trafficking on some of that popularity. But Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were helming this movie, and I think that ultimately they did a great job. They had some great casting with Jason Bateman. They had some great callbacks with Chris Tucker. I thought a lot of it was great. I think the star of it was Viola Davis, if I'm being perfectly honest. Even though her role wasn't as big as Matt Damon's and Ben Affleck's, I honestly think that she had the, she was the star, if I'm being honest. And I think that there's a reason for that. But here's the thing. When I walked away from that movie, my first thought was, this is not a Michael Jordan movie at all. I think that was probably the misconception that people had going in. When you looked at the trailer, you'd got to think, wow, it's going to be about Michael coming to Nike and all of that drama. We really didn't see Michael at all during this movie. As a matter of fact, we didn't see Michael's face one time during this entire movie. And I think that that's very, very telling. The story wasn't about Michael Jordan. The story was actually about Sonny Vaccaro and Rob Strasser trying to make Nike basketball something more than it was. And in 1984, it was nothing. Nike basketball had nothing to hang its hat on. In the early parts of the movie, when they're trying to figure out what NBA rookies that they're going to go after to try to sign, there are some names up there that many people probably don't even remember. John Stockton was one of those names, and he was a Hall of Famer. But he's not a guy when you think about pop and when you think about somebody who's going to move the needle. John Stockton was a great, excellent basketball player. But nobody would have cared about wearing shoes that he had on his feet. That's just not something that he portrays. It's not some aura that he gives off. What Nike needed was to make a splash. 
they needed to differentiate themselves in a market that quite frankly, to their point, had stagnated at that time, which is funny because I say that the sneaker market has stagnated now and that Nike is pushing out Jordans and Dunks a little bit too frequently. So it's interesting that this movie comes out and sort of talks about Nike having stagnated back then because the whole market needed a push. But this movie also talked about a paradigm shift. And that's something that at the end of the movie, I thought was very awesome for them to go into. I did feel like they went into it a little bit too much, but at the same time, I think it's very, very important. It's something that we take for granted today. When we see a player exclusive shoe, we just assume that a lot of these star players are going to get one eventually. We just don't know with what brand they're going to land with. This was not common back then. While a lot of players were associated with brands and they did a great job of talking about Adidas and Converse, Converse had some of the biggest stars in the NBA at that time. I'm talking about Magic Johnson. I'm talking about Larry Bird. I'm talking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Those guys were the biggest names in basketball for a very long time before Michael Jordan even came around. They defined basketball for damn near a decade. And the thing about it was they were just part of the brand. They weren't a brand themselves. And that's one thing that Michael Jordan changed. And Michael Jordan's mom actually changed it by setting the tone and setting the precedent of my son is going to get a cut of all future sales. That had not been done before. And when I saw that and I realized that this movie was not a sneaker movie, I realized that it was a business movie. This movie was meant to cater to a lot of people. And that's one of the things about watching it with my wife that was interesting because she went away from this movie thinking, I really enjoyed that. My wife likes to wear good sneakers. She appreciates sneakers in a similar sense to how I do, but she doesn't have the same vigor for the culture that I do or that any of us do. And she's just kind of another person who likes to have some shoes. And that's where she draws the line. She doesn't care if they're hype. If she likes them, she'll wear them, whatever. She doesn't care if anybody recognizes them. And that's, I think that's okay. But she loved the movie. She loved the story behind it. Now, I think the focus on Michael Jordan's mom, Dolores, was a great, great thing. Again, we didn't see Michael, but Viola Davis nailed this role. Now, Dolores Jordan was critical in getting Michael to go with Nike because they did a wonderful job in this story of really playing up how little Michael Jordan wanted to go to Nike. He was an Adidas guy in college. That's where he wanted to go. The stories are all famously told that way, that Michael was not going to take a meeting with Nike until his mom made him do it. Now, the stories that I've heard, basically, she said, you should take it because it's your responsibility to take it. And I'm not going to let you just walk away from a company that's giving their hard earned time and money to try to talk to you about their vision. In the movie, they took some creative liberties, I think, by making it about the fact that Michael wasn't going to go there and Sonny Vaccaro went down to North Carolina to talk to his mom. We don't know if that's actually what happened, but I think it tells a more dramatic story. And that's one thing about this movie that I also took away was they took some liberties with some things that I think were going to lend to a better story. Because if you're trying to reach a larger audience, you have to tell a story that's going to be more appealing to a lot of other people. This is why you see a lot of books that get turned into movies have different endings or they leave out certain things or maybe they sort of streamline a few parts of the complicated areas of the movie. And that's for the viewing audience because a movie is not the same as a book. You can't be as descriptive and so you have to be a little bit more efficient with the kind of story that you tell. And in this movie, they had to make a few things or fabricate a few things in order to make it a better story. The other thing that I think was interesting is that this was about underdog nature. This was an underdog story. We will never, ever, ever see Nike as an underdog today. When is the last time Nike was an underdog? It was probably about 40 years ago. You could make the argument that Nike was the true underdog. 
Anybody listening to this who has watched the HBO special Winning Time, which is a great series about the Showtime Lakers, in the first season, there is a very, very short clip about Magic Johnson meeting Phil Knight from Nike and him trying to sell him on having the first air magic. And while maybe that's not 100% true, this was at that time where Nike's share was so low, especially in the basketball realm, that they weren't commanding a lot of the biggest names in the sport. And Magic Johnson coming out of college was one of the biggest names in the sport, and they weren't able to get him. And that was a precursor to this Michael Jordan stuff. And think about how much money Magic Johnson left on the table by not taking that deal, not having the forward thinking to take a deal with Nike thinking about the future. Magic Johnson could have been Michael Jordan before then. We could all be wearing Air Magics right now, and we could be on the Air Magic 40 right now, but instead we're on the Air Jordan because Nike as the underdog needed to do something that nobody else was willing to do. They made Michael Jordan the star of the brand. He was a brand himself. Instead of the shoes defining him, it was Michael Jordan defining the shoes. And when Peter Moore came on the scene in this movie, I don't know exactly what his personality was like, but certainly they made him weird. And maybe as a designer and an artist, that's what people are like. But he came up with this design. And as they were talking about it, I thought it was interesting that they knew it was going to break rules in the NBA, which we talked about on this show before, that when the Air Jordan came along, white was basically the color of all NBA shoes. They had to be at least 51% white. Most of the shoes that were out there were mostly white. So it wasn't even that there was a lot of variety in terms of this rule. And when the Air Jordan 1 was created, obviously it had more red and more than white on there. And that was going to intentionally break a rule. And in the movie, they talked about how we're just going to pay these fines. We're going to put this shoe out. Michael's going to love it. And we're just going to pay the fines because in the end, it's going to be worth it. That was also something that I'm not sure how true that was, but it tells a better story. Everybody knows that the band Jordan 1 is not the shoe that actually got banned by the NBA because the Nike Airship predates the Jordan 1. And that's something that wasn't in this story because while it's true, it would have made too convoluted of a story for the viewing audience. Like, is it really that important that we get that particular piece of history right? What's more important is we're gonna create this shoe, it's gonna get banned if we don't pay these fines, and so we're going to pay the fines. And again, maybe some of that happened, but it didn't necessarily happen exactly the way that it was portrayed in the movie. And only sneakerheads would know that. If you've studied your history at all, you know that that's the case, but this movie did not do that. And I think that that's okay. I think it's okay for them to take liberties because again, this is not a movie made for sneaker historians. This is a movie made to tell a story that hasn't been told in movie form yet. And I think that they did an excellent job with this. The thing that I love the most though, is that Michael Jordan didn't say one word. Not only did we not see his face, but we didn't actually hear his voice. And I think that by doing so, it made the focus of the story more on the underdog nature of Sonny Vaccaro, Rob Strasser, and everything at Nike than about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan doesn't need another movie or documentary to tell his story. He's had plenty of time to tell his story. All of his winning tells his story. Obviously, The Last Dance was a great documentary that talked about his last year with the Bulls, but he's had a lot of chances to tell his story. This was not an opportunity to do that. Michael Jordan's presence was merely a vehicle to tell all the other aspects of this story. I think that that was amazing. So at the end of the day, the question is, was this a sneakerhead movie? I would actually say that no, it's not. Will sneakerheads enjoy it? I'm sure a lot of you enjoyed it, yes. And I know that a lot of people complained that they wanted to see more sneaker content in there. If you had more sneaker content in there, I don't think it would have been as good of a movie. 
I think that's a different vehicle. I think if you want that kind of content, you need to go to people like me or other people on YouTube who are doing that kind of creative storytelling. This was a different story entirely. Michael Jordan and the shoe itself was not actually the focal point of this. It didn't matter. Is there an opportunity to tell more historical fiction in terms of what happened after the Jordan one? Sure. And maybe we can get a little bit more sneaker heavy in those types of avenues than we did in this movie. But the point of this movie was not just to cater to sneakerheads. And I think something that has happened here is if a sneaker is involved, sneaker culture feels that it should be about them and them exclusively. And that's not the case. This was meant to cater to a lot of different people, and I think it did an excellent job at it. And before we get to the end of the episode, we do have a little bit of business to conduct. Release of the week, where I like to highlight a shoe that has caught my eye. It's not always going to be hype. Sometimes it will be, but it's a shoe that I just think that you should pay attention to. And while this episode has been about Air, which is obviously very Air Jordan focused, this is not going to be an Air Jordan release. It's actually going to be a New Balance release, which is, I believe, a brand that didn't come up at all in Air. And I think that that was wonderful because they were not even close to being a basketball brand at that point. They were strictly in the running game, and it wasn't until very, very, very recently that they became part of the sneakerhead hype game. And so I think that's cool. And speaking of that, Action Bronson, who's a guy who I don't know anything about other than the fact that he does some sneaker collaborations with New Balance, he has a shoe coming out, the 990 V6, which is the Lapis Lazuli colorway. This is a great looking shoe. And honestly, I, I know that I talk about New Balances a lot, but I think that what they are doing is doing something a little bit different than what other big brands are doing. They're giving different combinations of colors, different color blocking on shoes that don't look like anything else on the market. Nobody is going to mistake a New Balance for a Nike Dunk or an Air Jordan most of the time. And I think that that's a great, great thing. And they're just continuing to put out a lot of great silhouettes for sneakerheads to eat up. And whether they're big action Bronson fans or not, I still think that it's really neat that these shoes just look great. And not only do they look great, but they have that functionality to go with it, which is the exact antithesis of what we talked about last week with those dad shoes. Nobody is going to put on an Air Monarch and think that it's hype, although I'm sure ironically they'd be hype somewhere. But this 990 is a great shoe. And so if you are able to go pick it up, please do. I'm probably almost convinced it's going to be a limited release, but it's a great looking shoe. So that is my release of the week. Did you see Air and what did you think of it? And as a sneakerhead, did you want more sneaker content? Get in touch with the show. Instagram at FireFootwearPod is the way to do that. If you want to find the show on Twitter, at FireFootwearPod is the handle for the show. At MattyIceFreights is the handle to find me. If you want to ask questions or give comments to the show, FireFootwearPod at gmail.com is the email address to do that. If you're listening on Apple and Spotify, don't forget to hit rate. Don't forget to hit follow. It helps the show grow and chart and all that good stuff. And it keeps people coming to this community. And please support the Matty Ice Media Network, MattyIceMedia.com for all the other podcasts that we have, such as Iceman and Coach. And this show, we're always trying to grow the network and bring out new content. I'm very, very happy that you're here. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. And I hope that this community continues to grow the way that it has. I'm very appreciative for all of you. And I thank all of you for taking out a little bit of your day to listen to this show. I'll talk to you all next week, folks. This is Fire Footwear.
The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Fire Footwear are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Fire Footwear is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.